Good morning, everybody. Do you know, it seems like, I mean, last week I was. <laughs> but I'm going to be in real shock if I find myself here next week. Uh, let's open our service this morning by singing together uh, number 194 from Praise the Lord. Uh, I will worship. Dear Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for the many blessings that you give us day by day. Thank you for all the, the many ways in which you love us and demonstrate your love. Thank you for this time which we can now spend together to share fellowship with you and the Lord Jesus Christ and each other. Please be with us and help us to be more Christ-like as we spend this time together in praise and worship and prayer and study. Lord, we would ask that you especially remember all those people in Japan who have been affected by the earthquake and the following tsunami. Heard this morning that there could be up to 10,000 people who've died. We, re we were reminded last week about the sorts of things that we would see before your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would return. And, and yet again so soon, we have seen another, another demonstration of how powerful and devastating and heart-wrenching earthquakes, tsunamis and things like them can be. We pray for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that everything that is wrong with this world may be put right. We pray for a special blessing on all those affected by the recent events and we pray Lord if we can be of any service that then, then we will be Lord. Thank you for all the things you've done for us and we pray you'll hear this prayer now through Jesus. Amen. Tony's mum has had to go back into hospital. Uh, I think she came out about a week or so ago, but she's gone back in with pneumonia. She appears to be settled back in hospital, but obviously that's still a concern for us all. Uh, Malcolm's dad apparently has gone blind in his right eye due to a clot he's got, which isn't great, and he's got some other health issues as well. Um, he's waiting appointments to have all these seen to and look to, and would very much appreciate our prayers. And also Eileen, Malcolm's stepmum, is waiting to have investigations on her kidneys. So there's obviously lots there for us to pray about for Martin and his family. Tony's asked if I will do the pastoral prayer, so if there are any further friends, family, brothers and sisters that you feel we need to pray for, please make those aware now. Okay, in which case, if you'd like to remain where you're seated and just bow your heads as we approach our Father in prayer. Great God of heaven and earth, Lord of all that you have made, sustainer of life, bringer of comfort and strength, the Father of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. God, we bring before you now those people who are on our hearts. We know that you see and hear and know everything, Lord, but you ask us to bring to you what's, what's on our minds, what concerns us, and so we do that now.
Father, we often think that people are well, and looking on the outside, we might think they're fine. But inside they might be struggling, they may be sick, and we cannot see it. Father, open our eyes to our brothers and sisters, our friends and family, the people that we meet, to really see if they can do with our help and help us to come alongside them. Father, we pray for Joan, now that she's back in hospital, that you help the doctors resolve the pneumonia and bring her healing and rest and comfort so that she can return back home. Strength and tone in the family to look after her as well. Father, we pray for Malcolm's family, for his dad and his stepmom. Everything that they're going to endure over these next few weeks and months and maybe for the rest of their lives. Father, we pray that you bring them healing, that you bring them comfort, that again your strength is poured out upon Malcolm and Perlin to look after them. We also pray for, for Joe, whose uncle has died. Death brings sadness, but it also brings you into the picture to bring comfort and peace. Father, wherever possible, help us to make sure that we make you known to people, that you are a solution where people are hurting and struggling. But you have put us here to be that channel. Father, strengthen us all in this duty and this responsibility. Help us to be caring and compassionate as your son is to us all. Amen. We'll sing our, our next song from Praise Lord now, which is number 35. And Lord, we want to lift your name on high. And Lord, we want to thank you for the works you've done in our lives. And Lord, we trust in your unfailing love. For you alone are God eternal throughout earth and heaven above. The uh, Brand family are going to lead our readings this morning. Angela is going to read Psalms 120 and 121. And then John will read to us Luke chapter 4. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? And <clears throat> what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. 
The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Gospel according to Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the, in the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet 
Elijah, was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Sarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, on the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching, because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went, out, went to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. We're going to think a little bit about uh, about temptation. We've read about uh, some temptations that Jesus went through, and we'll we'll draw some lessons from that, and hopefully we will uh, look at how that affects uh, how we are and what some of our experiences are. I'd like just to go back uh, a few verses to uh, Luke chapter three. Uh, verse 21 where we've got recorded the fact that, uh, that Jesus was baptised and 3.21 we read uh, when all the people were being baptised Jesus was baptised too and as he was praying heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit de descended on him in bodily form like a dove 
and a voice came from him, You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years when his ministry began. So we have a man who's about 30 years old, who has been preparing all of, of his life for the purpose that God set out for him. And he was baptised, and when he was baptised, he received the Holy Spirit. And all that that, and all that went with that. And I sort of, I see that as, as a pivotal moment in, in the life of Jesus. A time when he was, he was completed, if you like. He was ready to start his mission. He had all that he was going to need to do what God wanted to do. To, to, to reveal God to, to man. He had all the power that God put at his disposal to fulfil God's purpose. And then in chapter 4, we read, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where... For 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. I can clear the dishes away and I'm hungry. <laughs> 40 days and he was hungry. We have three examples of how the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted throughout that time. And while and we may quickly look at them, actually, specifically, I don't think it matters in the context of what we're going to look at. It's just important for us to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced temptation. It is recorded that... Oh, sorry, there are three specific... Uh, types of uh, temptation that are recorded for us in, in, this, in this chapter. And I'm, I'm not overly convinced of the significance of all of them. And I'm, For me, it doesn't particularly matter, but we, we can look at them. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ could do the miraculous. We read countless events and situations where he did the miraculous through the power of God. And we have to assume, I think, that he controlled how he used God's power. And it's sort of this sort of context that I think these fit into. So he's hungry, and he's tempted to change rocks into bread, stones into bread. He's, he's tempted, I think, the second temptation, to, to set up a kingdom 
Not in God's way, not in the way God wants, but in the way he wants. And the third temptation seems to me to be about just a general misuse of God's power or a misuse of the relationship or it's not what God's relationship is about, you know. And each time he is tempted, he does not succumb. And how does he not succumb? He does not succumb because he focuses on the things of God. Luke 4 verse 8 in respect to the, sorry, Luke 4 verse 4 in respect to the temptation about the bread. Luke, uh, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. In relation to setting up a kingdom, 4 verse 8, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then in relation to to throwing himself from a high place to the ground and being saved, Jesus replies, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Throughout each of these temptations, he's able to overcome them because his focus is on the things of God. So why is all this important to us? Well, it's important to us because... Our sin, the sin that we commit, starts with temptation. Look, in James chapter 1, verse 13, we read, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire... He is dragged and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived it, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it's like this journey which, sadly, we all sometimes travel along. And if our point of destination is sin, then our starting point has been temptation. And there are some other passages which back this up. If we, if we look at the first chapter, of, at the sixth chapter of Galatians and first one, we've got these words. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you, who are spiritual, should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. And there's this correlation between temptation and sin. Help your brother or your sister who is in sin, that is your spiritual duty. But, when involved in that type of process of restoration, don't be tempted. Why? Because temptation leads to sin. Sin leads to death. Luke 11, when... uh, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach uh, them how to pray. Uh, 11 verse 2, he says to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
and lead us not into temptation. Because temptation is the start of the journey that leads to sin. Jesus says, Matthew verse 5, starting at verse 43, You have heard it said, Love your enemy, sorry, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is, that is our challenge that is, that is the fruition of our, of our calling. That's what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So, within that construct, what makes us not perfect? Sin makes us not perfect. What is the way in which we avoid sinning it's not being tempted. What is the way... Sorry, it's not not being tempted at all. It's nonsense, isn't it? It's not succumbing to temptation. How do we learn how to not succumb to temptation? By being focused on the things of God. God knows that sin damages us. He knows it gets in the way. He knows that when we sin, we feel guilty and isolated and become ineffective. He knows that when we sin, we lose focus on God. When we sin, that our relationship with God is damaged. And therefore... God tells us not to sin. And Jesus demonstrates some very practical ways in which we can become more Christ-like. The very fact that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ so that he would be revealed ought to go a huge way down the path of convincing us that God loves us. And if he can give his son for us, then he can forgive our sin. We read in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. Listen. But we have one who has been tempted 
in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 2 verse 18 we read, Because he himself suffered, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus knows. And if you think you have a 21st century temptation that Jesus doesn't know about, then you're wrong. Our world might be somewhat different and these things might manifest themselves in a different way. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows and understands and sympathises. And it genuinely doesn't matter what it is. You could think of any sort of temptation you like. Connected with money, sexual, political ambition, material. It doesn't matter. There are no clauses on those passages that we've read. So if you're sat there thinking that this doesn't apply to me, then you're wrong. It does apply to you. Jesus knows about it and he understands about it. We have a tendency sometimes, I think, to, to, to sort of understand, or I don't know, understand. We, we have this way of dealing with, with issues sometimes. And it ends up being ungodly because somehow we think when we've messed up, then actually we have to sort it out before we can come back to God. These, these teachings we come across are expect, are, are to challenge that. It's supposed to be the other way around. It's supposed to be that when you feel weak or when you've messed up, actually, more than any other time actually, you need to turn back to God. You need to take these things to God. That's what's being taught. It's what we're reminded of here when we come to take the bread and wine. We're remembering the love that God has shown us by the sending of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet somehow we just box things off. We see things in a different way. And for some reason, oftentimes we just cannot break out of what we think we must do. And it just ends up being wrong. Are you in sin? Are you tempted by, by certain things? Can you not to deal with it, not want to talk about it, does it make you feel like you shouldn't be here or you shouldn't talk to God? These passages, these teachings are for you in that case. What do we read in Hebrews? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we do come to that time when we will share some bread and wine, where we share fellowship with God and the Lord Jesus Christ and with each other. But who's defining that fellowship? Who defines the parameters on which that fellowship was based? You or me or God? It's God, isn't it? It's God's table we're invited to. We're doing what we've been told to by God. God decides what we do. God invites us to take bread and wine. To what? So that we are reminded of his love, that we come to know him and his purpose, his grace, his forgiveness and his mercy. Let's, uh, before we take bread and wine, let's sing our next hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain, I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. If you'd like to sit after we finish this hymn. Charles will come and lead our thanks with the bread. Father God, Lord, at this time, many of us tend to think about our weaknesses and mistakes that we've made. And Father, we know that you desire that honesty from us and that it's good. But today, Father, we think about how amazing it is that in spite of all those weaknesses and mistakes, we can come to this throne of grace with confidence knowing that you've called us to be here that you want us to be here that you understand all the things that go on in our hearts and minds and you urge us to come here we're called by seeing in our hearts our Lord hanging on that cross where sorrow and love flowed mingled down and he called us to be here. Amen. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Now come and lead our thanks for the wine. O oh Lord our God, our creator and our sustainer, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus. Your son who was like each and every one of us here, who was tempted like we are all tempted, who suffered like we all in whatever way suffer and ultimately who died for each and every one of us. 
And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you understand the things that we do battle with every day of our lives, the temptations that come our way. Because you have suffered that too. You understand what it means to be tempted and you've shown us how to resist that. And Lord Jesus, you've laid down the challenge for us, the challenge to be perfect just like your Father is perfect. And Jesus, it's a challenge that really does demand our life and our all. And rightfully so, because you gave your life and your all for each and every one of us. Father, thank you for this cup of wine. Thank you that you've invited us to your table. And in the name of your dear Son, we ask this prayer. Amen. A symbol of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ given for the forgiveness of sin. We'll, uh, we'll see. Lord, the light of your love. And in the first verse, we will sing these words. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Believe that God is gracious and merciful and forgiving and wants you to turn to him and be set free. Lord, I come to your awesome presence from the shadows into your radiance. From the dark places I sometimes choose to be, I move from there into a place which is ablaze with your glory. To verse 3 where we will sing, as we gaze in your kingly brightness, so our faces display your likeness, ever changing from glory to glory, mirrored here may our lives tell your story as, part, as a result of our fellowship with God and Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be Christ-like and let those people who we see and deal with day and day not see us, but see Jesus. And at that time, our transformation will be complete. Just before we finish, I want to tell you a story about curry. <laughs> I have a particular curry in mind. It was our Friday night curry. My big sister, mum has had, mum has been in hospital a couple of weeks with pneumonia, came out on Wednesday. Big sister's come up from London, staying over, come to see mum. So Friday, all visits have been, oh she's home, yeah of course all visits have been done, finished on Wednesday. So mum been seeing the day and stuff, we were all back together. It was going to be curry night and film. Lucy ordered the curry, about, I don't know, seven-ish, quarter to seven. Uh, and then the carers rang. 
and uh, they said, oh, your mum doesn't seem very well. I said, oh, okay, uh, anyway, put the phone down, thinking, now I don't mean this to sound unsympathetic, but what I thought was, maybe we can have the curry and then I'll go down and make sure she's okay, but I'd not spoken to her, so I rang her back, as I'd like to speak to her. Speak to mum, spoke to mum, and she sounded obviously not very well at all. So we, uh, I said, Look, I'm sorry, we're going to have to go down. Police went to pick the curry up, took it home. We went to mum's, and mum was blatantly not well. And uh, so rang the on call doctor who said, uh, Well, we'll get a doctor out then, and, but it could be four hours. Well, Mum was now sort of sleeping and we were starving. So I said, okay, Lou, I'll leave you here. My sister's Louise, by the way, not worth that. So I said, right, I'll go home, pick the curry up. We'll take it to Mum's. We'll eat it. A doctor can come. Because I went home, got the curry. Nearly home. Louise rang says, the doctor's here. Got back. Doctor's here. And then, cut a slightly longer story than I intended. Sure, sir. <laughs> Mum obviously then went, had to go into hospital. So Lou went with mum and I took the curry home. <laughs> then went to hospital and uh, so anyway, mum had this pneumonia again, so she's got high temperature and uh, high blood rate and they gave her stuff to sort that out, but in doing so, blood pressure dropped and they wouldn't put her on the ward till they could get her blood pressure up. Four o'clock on Saturday morning we got back after they sorted mum out and she was settling and she was on the ward and stuff. And Lou said, I'm going to have some curry. I said, are you mad? It's seven hours old and it's travelled 12 miles and who eats cold curry? Anyway, she wouldn't be shifted from this path of madness. And so we ate a sag paneer, some cauliflowered, curry cauliflower and some curried mushrooms at ten past four in the morning, out of foil pots with spoons. And it was really nice. <laughs> really, I mean, you wouldn't invite somebody around for this, would you? If you want to come for a curry, we'll buy it, we'll wait, whatever it is, nine hours, and then we'll have it cold. Because it just doesn't compute, does it? And in my mind, it's, you have a curry hot when you buy it. And I struggle sometimes with things which I've decided should fit in my sort of boundaries and sort of stuff. And it was a case, she had it for breakfast as well. It's not like we ate it all. She actually finished it for breakfast. It, was, it worked. We do this. We do this with the gospel message. We get it in our head that it works this way. And we struggle to break out of what we think it should be like. We struggle sometimes with understanding that our God is gracious and loving and forgiving. And we don't operate. We don't operate in God's bounds. We operate in our bounds. And we constantly need to be reminded that this is how God wants us to operate, not in this nonsense which we do here. God is loving, gracious and forgiving and he wants us to know it. He doesn't want us to know it up here. He wants us to know it in here. And when the chips are down and we've stuffed up or we've messed up, he doesn't want us to sort it out. He doesn't want us to go away, fix it, 
and then come back to him, he wants us to turn back to him and he will help us fix it. That's what it's about. We're going to close in a minute with uh, 219, uh, Lord of all hopefulness. And it's really just about a prayer that we ask God to be with us, you know, all, all, at all times. But if Angela doesn't mind, what I'd just like us to do before we sing that is just, uh, she's just going to come and read Psalm 121 to us again. And then we'll sing our hymn. Okay. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Lord, help us, we pray, um, not to go down the road that leads from temptation to sin to death. And if we go down that road, to turn round and come back to you. We recognise that you're always there, always gracious, always welcoming. And the thing, it seems to me, that most gets in our way is our own heads and hearts. Um, and that we fill them up, not with thinking about you, um, but worrying about the things that we've done and looking inwards rather than looking outwards. And Lord, remind us too that you haven't called us just to be soft and cosy and comfortable, um, but to do stuff. We recognise that your grace is there because you tell us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But we recognise too, Lord, a responsibility. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Lord, let us be beautiful feet. Let us, instead of looking inwards, look out and bring your good news to those that we see every day. And we can do this, Lord, we know, if you are with us and we put our trust in you.